HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. We are here with the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. It's Thursday, live at 1 o'clock. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Kane 5. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit Kane5.com. Thank you, Heather. So, like we said, here in Brooklyn, uh, sitting with the very tan, well-rested, and good-looking Ben Flanner, uh, urban farmer extraordinaire. Um, ben, we're excited to hear about your first season at the Brooklyn Grange, your rooftop farm in Queens. How's it been? It was a good season. Yeah? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you back in studio. Heather, when was the last time we had Ben on? Do you know? Probably right before the summer, right before their Kickstarter campaign was about to finish up. I just kind of, you know, wanted to give that last shout out. And uh, well, back when I was on the Farm Report, boohoo. <laughs> oh, Jack. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, hey, the Kickstarter campaign worked. So that was the last time we had you on. Yes, it did. I feel like we were just in the midst of scrambling, trying to get everything solidified. And um, then you guys were helping us kind of plug it and keep the momentum going. So. Yeah, how much money did you end up raising? On Kickstarter, we raised twenty one thousand dollars. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, no joke. Did I say that? You did. I did, I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. It, was, it came at the crucial time too, because it was right when we had some some gaps in our funding, and we were still just going ahead with the project. Yeah, it was soil was being delivered. Or yeah, something, I know. Right? It was kind of, kind of fearlessly <laughs> just going forward with it. So, so everybody really came in in the clutch for it. Did yeah. you apply for some like new credit cards just in case? So, I mean. <laughs> To put debt on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, I'd like an extension on this line. I need 20,000 pounds of dirt. So. Yeah, exactly. So oh. can you tell us a little bit, like, what, you know, you you got the space. What was the stuff you needed? Like, what's the gear? What's what's the stuff look like to set up a full acre rooftop farm? Sure. Well, we got the space, and luckily there wasn't a lot that we had to do with the roof itself. It was in pretty good shape, and the landlord was in the process of patching up just a couple small little leaks on it. So then our expenses were the green roof system, which is four, four layers, um, which involve uh, protecting the roof with a roof barrier and, and absorbing water and, um, and keeping the soil out of it, and then all the soil. And the soil is probably in the realm of about twice as much as the green roof system. So really the wow. soil is the big thing. Um, but we actually got a great deal on the soil. We didn't have to pay the second half of the bill <laughs> until um, three months into the summer. 
that's so cool. it was enabled us to you know to sort of stabilize everything and and um, how like did they uh the soy people do that for you for like a, a specific reason um um yeah it was just good good relationship with him and and he he had faith in us and vice versa and and he agreed to it for us. Yeah, now when you build your next rooftop, you'll go back to him. Yeah, so exactly. He, he's just as confident as we all were that you'd make this happen. I know it. Yep. Definitely. Cool. The soil worked well, too. So. Yeah, I was going to say, so Speak the soil, down. that's like a one-time purchase, right? Or you're, yes. not, you're not buying that every year? Oh, no. No, Thank no. God. You buy that <laughs> once and get it up there, and then you start running it as you know, circular and organically as possible. We're, we're doing a lot of composting. Um, we're bringing up scraps from the CSAs and Sunnyside and... Long Island City farmers markets everywhere around us, and um, restaurants are bringing some stuff up. We're getting coffee chaff from Oslo from the roaster in Williamsburg, mm, nice. and we're getting um, wood scrap, sawdust, and wood shavings from woodworkers. So, like, what, what were some of like the most like interesting things that you know kind of went on there this summer? I mean, you know, aside from just your everyday, you know, like. <laughs> work sure um well we were up there we were hustling pretty hard because we get we didn't get everything up till late may uh irrigation was even set up till early june and that's as you know that's like into the summer basically you're approaching the longest day of the year already and which is june 21st june 20th um so so we were in a rush we were getting everything down throwing down seeds really quickly and we had over twenty, over two thousand tomato plants, which we had, which we transplanted in, Whoa. just in the nick of time. And that was like the big, the big thing of the summer. Twenty five percent of the area of the farm was tomatoes, and we were at one point in August, early September, we were coming up there. We were getting like two hundred mm. pounds a day. Oh wow! And that takes some time to pick too. So <laughs> again, um, sort of a thanks to the everybody, the community, and every we had people stopping by and. We'd just be like, hey, can you pick tomatoes? And they'd oh, fill up flats of them, and awesome. we'd sort them into quality. Yeah, so what? tell us a little bit about what your crew looked like. I mean, it wasn't just you up there on the acre. Who else is around? Sure. Full-time, it was myself and Rob, my apprentice and partner in the in the Grange. And then um, we had the, the rest of our team, Gwen and Anastasia, both had different roles, helping with errands, with volunteer days, with harvesting, and with markets. And Chris and Brandon, we all had different roles, um, but full time up there was Rob and I, and then a slew of of regulars and and randoms that would pop in to help us. When you say full time, I mean, what time does your day start? We heard you were like running a little ragged at some point this summer. <laughs> I was a little ragged. <laughs> uh, the day started well during the peak of everything. The day started as soon as it was light. You know, we were trying to be up there slightly before it was light, Jeez. just so we could you didn't start sleep picking on the things. Roof? We tried. We tried harvesting at night once. Didn't work. <laughs> no, we didn't see with the roof. But actually, we joked about it all summer. I'm, and I'm sure. surprised we never did it Me too. because we were pretty dang close. Um, but yeah, at some at one point in the summer, like through August, September, when you're trying to make sure you're getting everything picked and everything sold, and that's like when you know the curve is double or triple the amount of stuff that's coming out. You're just working as many hours as you possibly can. Just remembering that once it cools down, then you have time again on your hands. That you rest. So mm-hmm. you're up on top of the roof, you know, harvesting hundreds of pounds of vegetables. Are, are you just hauling those down the steps? Is there like an elevator? You have like a pulley system? I was, I was imagining a pulley system in my head. Yeah, pulley would be awesome. We would. There's an elevator. There's a freight elevator and a regular passenger elevator that goes to the fifth floor. And the, the that's still high. It's uh, the the building's six stories high. We're on like the seventh floor Uh-oh. theoretically on the roof, so we'd have to carry it down too, and then throw it into a, into the freight elevator. Okay, so 
that takes some of the some of the heavy lifting out, I suppose. Yeah, a little bit, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. So, so then you you guys what loaded onto a truck? How I mean, what's what are the other kind of on the ground parts of the farm? Sure, the other well, the distribution was actually a, a big chunk of the time this summer because we had to make sure everything got sold, and we were developing a lot of new relationships with different people, and we were focusing on markets, but markets still weren't quite as large or substantial as we needed them to be to like sell you know all the produce or really a large large amount of it. So we were loading up. Um, my car, I, I picked up a 79 Mercedes <laughs> converted Hi. to veggie oil. Nice. <laughs> and so, so I was tooling around a lot Stylin'. of that. And, and Gwen's truck and Rob's car, we were kind of using whatever we had. Um, bicycle when we could, although our scale quickly got, you know, eclipsed that. Um, and then some people would come to pick it up from us. And then we also had a uh, market in the lobby of the building twice a week. So then people would always come straight to us. That was awesome. I'd love to get that as large as possible. Um, because it's like the ultimate and what we're trying to accomplish. It's like people work in the building or they're there visiting or they get out the subway a half block away. They pop in just right on their way home. They don't even break stride and then they get their fresh totally. vegetables that were picked that morning. What is the building? What what else is going on in there? Uh, it's called the Standard Motor Products Building. It's, it's on Northern Boulevard and, and 39th Street in Long Island City. And they have a number of different tenants. Um, Standard Motor, who owned the building for years, still has like two floors. Um, there's some architects, there's some finance people, there's some artists, Jim Henson Corporation. It's kind of a hodgepodge. It's like cool. kind of your classic, like equivalent <laughs> of a seventies Soho loft kind of conversion, you know, where they have all this space and they partition it and rent it out to people as they, as they can fill it up. So there are there already like um, people. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, why not? Every <laughs> rooftop should have a farm, pretty much. So, yeah. Um, but like, uh, are there people like already signed up now? You know, for next year, to, that they know they already want to buy pr- produce from you guys. Yeah, totally. We we started to get regulars and people coming by that that had favorite products and everything. So so yeah, it'll make everything a lot easier next year. And we also had the market right here at Roberta's on Sundays, which was pretty awesome. Um, we we really got a lot of people from the neighborhood coming out regularly, and made a lot of friends out there on the sidewalk. So you guys were going tomatoes. What I mean, what else is? What's your production look like? Did you get a sense of how much produce you guys were able to produce, and then like what types of things were you growing? Um, yeah, I think we probably grew about fifteen thousand pounds of of produce. Um, with tomatoes, is the the lion's share of that we had. Pretty much everything across the gambit besides that, some of it in, in small proportions too. Like uh, we had lemon sorrel, we had Swiss chard, lots of kale, um, lots of spinach. Um, Anything that herbs. you won't grow next year that you grew this year? Mm, most I might not grow. We, we probably won't grow any. We tested melons again and probably mm. won't do any, any more melons. I think we're going to put hops in that location. There's a couple Ooh. places that are perfect for trellising. Cool. A face to the south so you can get a strong sun on them. Um, hops is a good perennial and it's fun and it's fun to talk about Definitely. and you can make beer with it. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to branch out totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, first time I ever met you, you gave me an edible flower. What about any of those? Oh, what was that? A nasturtium? <laughs> yeah, I believe oh, so. Cool. Yeah, we grew some nasturtiums this year. We grew a lot more borage, which was really fun. Um, it tastes like a cucumber. It's a pretty blue flower. Actually, those are those are really doing well right now. They're enjoying this. High 50s, low 60s that we have. And <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah, we wanted to ask, I mean, now that the summer's over, I mean, what, what goes on in the winter? You guys are still, you know, paying rent, I'm sure. So what happens in this time of year? Sure. We have the, we have the farm pretty much cover cropped right now. We threw down 
rye, hairy vetch, um, sweet clover, crimson clover, and um, barley. Just filling up all the beds. There's a couple patches that that aren't fully covered right now. Uh, we started under sowing. It's called back in August, where we'd actually throw it. Late August, we started throwing the seeds down below the tomatoes, like in between them. So then they germinate, they start growing. Then in the process, the tomatoes start to thin out. You clip those out, and then you have something that's a month older that saw some strong growing season. And the purpose of those cover crops is to prevent erosion. Uh, we the the root structures prevent you know keep the soil in, intact, and then we'll also turn them into the soil in spring. We call it a green manure. It's sort of a natural fertilize fertilization, and we can restore some nitrogen and some other minerals and nutrients to the soil. The rest of it will compost. So you talked about you know some of the stuff you're getting for compost. What are, are there other inputs for your farmers? Are there other stuff that you guys have to buy in? Um, no, not currently. We're going to try to avoid that as much as possible. I think the first thing I would buy if, if it comes to it would be like a concentrated fish emulsion. Hmm. Um, and then you can, we can put that through the drip lines through the irrigation system and just add a little bit of, a little bit to it. But in general, we're trying to keep it as circular as possible because we have access to all this waste in the city, Mm -hmm. which, you know, for every bit of waste that we can take, get up to the farm efficiently that's not getting trucked out of the city it's not being put in a landfill or or sent up to albany or wherever it goes or pennsylvania so um so we're trying to focus on that as much as possible that's pretty sweet that's it's really good to hear as well i mean so someone's got to be up there every day right i'm assuming you have people there every day i mean or, or not um yeah all through the summer right now we're not up there any day every day um, any day <laughs> up there all day every day every times to do radio shows and stuff like that's that awesome. of that nature yeah and i mean i know you've been speaking on lots of panels and you know just kind of out there just spreading the word about urban agriculture and things of the like so yeah i mean uh, i know we always talked about this kind of being a model i mean um have there been a lot of people reaching out to you to kind of see how this season went or or to see you know interest for other projects yeah yeah definitely there's been a lot of people asking us questions and coming and you know kind of kicking the tires and um, asking us questions about the financial side of it you know they really anxious to watch us and prove that that it's financially feasible and a lot of landlords have been coming to us with buildings and roofs um so, yeah, I think we're going to have an interesting couple of years ahead of us. Definitely. Um, but, yeah, and then we'll all, at the same time, just out there trying to spread the word and keep up the momentum. Who who do you look to? I mean, you don't, I'm assuming you didn't grow up on a rooftop farm. So, <laughs> like, where did, you, where did you kind of learn how to do what you're doing and who might you kind of look to for, for advice when you're, when you're struggling with something? Um, yeah, I, I have a network of, of farmers that, that I can call up on the phone when problems come up, and it's it's actually fun. It's, often you end up triangulating. But the, the more I realize is that there's like not like one single solution to lots of different problems. There's lots of different ideas. You can check out blogs. I have several books. Um, Elliot Coleman's definitely someone that I've yeah. really loved reading. He's a f- kind of famous farmer now up, yeah. in, up in Maine. Um, he's very methodical. He's very like logical about things, and I've I've really enjoyed his books. And then you know, self-taught, making mistakes, learning from it. Every year, there's like a list. You know, like certain crops got killed by flea beetles or whatever, and you just fight through it. You replant. You just keep moving. And yeah, I know. Like Wendell Berry has a great essay about you know farmers planting their winter crops. You know, you're inside, it's cold out, and in your head, you're like planning out the season and where you're going to put things mm-hmm. and how like how it's going to flow. So. 
I mean, we had a lot of crazy weather this summer. That's not yeah. something you can really plan for. I mean, what did that look like for you guys when the torrential downpour and, <laughs> and tornadoes like, and yeah. all that yeah. fun stuff? Oh, man. Uh, d- definitely. And then pre- prior to that was just that massive heat. Hot, yeah. And we we got a little bit lucky. And in some ways, there, there's some slight blessing in the fact that we were late because by that, t- by that point, we could already tell it was going to be a hot summer. So we, we <laughs> tilted our crops a little bit more towards peppers and eggplants. And tomatoes, obviously, which I'll just love the heat. Um, but then the rainstorm, the tornado came through. Um, we we, re- we escaped relatively undamaged from That's it. Great. But we had to use a lot of bamboo. Okay, cool. All right, let's hear a little bit more about that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Ben Flanner of the Brooklyn Grange. Cool. Book and Grange live with us in studio on today's Farm Report. Hey, um, hey, ho! Let's <laughs> go. So we were kind of talking about, um, like, you know, the really hot summer before we before we went to break, and uh, you know, some of the, the challenges that came along with that. And um, I was kind of wondering before the show, talking to Erin, what some of the differences may be. You know, being up on the roof as opposed to on the ground, like challenge wise. Mm-hmm. Are, are there differences? I mean, was there anything you ran into that you you kind of never had before because of being up there so high? Yeah, I think there's two main differences. One is the with the height, there, it's windy, it's breezy, and and there's more bi- more windy days than calm days for sure. So we ended up using quite a bit of bamboo, like I was just touching on. Uh, we bought probably three thousand bamboo stakes, and they were interspersed throughout almost every crop. We we started to realize just it's worth putting a stake next to it, um, even just to support its stem in case there's a big kick up in wind. Wait, so I I'm. There, you put a stick of bamboo in, and what? What? I, I'm not. It's a, it provides a little bit of support for it. Okay. And the idea is, even if the wind wouldn't kill the plant, the, you want to minimize the stress that's applied to it. You know, say it's, it gets breezy and the stem might bend a little bit, or it might flip around. Uh, they actually flip around in almost like a full 360 sometimes, because mm. um, the leaves are kind of like little mini kites. If if the breeze hits it at the right way, it can spin around. So just having a, a piece of bamboo there, maybe with a small piece of twine attached to the stem. Um, it, it can help it a lot. So that's one thing that I think is um, a little different from, from farming at the ground level, just the fact that there's a little bit more wind. I'm sure there's some farms that are just as windy as our roof at, at ground level, but in general, I'd say they're probably a little less breezy. Hmm. And then the depth of the soil as well. There's a couple crops that don't seem to work quite as well that really want to have deep roots, corn being an obvious example that has like a six-foot root system that 
that is just a little bit too constricted to grow it on our style of roof. We'd have to fertilize it pretty heavily. It's okay. I think we have enough corn right now. Yeah, I think we're doing all right on corn. (laughs) We're trying to keep it diverse. No big loss there. (laughs) Um, Any plans for uh, animals? Um, we've been discussing the idea of chickens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chickens on the roof. Like laying hens or meat birds? Uh, laying hens. Yeah. Yeah. I Sweet. think that would be the way to go. Definitely. What about bees? You- bees. Yeah, we have one bee box and we will have many, several more next year. Cool. I'm not sure how many more, but enough to have some, some more substantial amounts of honey. Yeah. I mean, what, what, and like also, were there any crops that like, you know, you, you're saying you were like uh, harvesting 200 pounds of tomatoes a day. I mean, were you able to sell all of that? I mean, what were you doing with some of the things? I mean, were there any things that you weren't able to sell at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, what did you eat too much of this yeah, summer? Surplus. <laughs> I always had plenty of dandelion greens to take home and eat. <laughs> Could have been nightly. Those, they grew really, really well. Yeah. And, and we, we had a fair amount of square footage of them. Um, and then the only other really time when th- a little bit went to waste was early in the spring when it's just really easy to grow greens and salad mixes. And, and we had a bit of a surplus of, of lettuces and salad mixes. But aside from that, we were pretty much hitting a steady state where most things got sold. Cool. So I know I ran into you, I think it was last February, you were heading up to the NOFA, the the, the Northeast Organic Food Conference. Yeah, what? with June. Yeah, with June Russell, um, nice. the farm inspector for Grow NYC, who we had on a few weeks ago. Grain Week still happening. Yeah, um, I believe you were making a cassoulet. I was, I was. <laughs> Bacon and rice. Lots of beans, lots of beans. Yeah. Um, so how, how was your uh, interaction like how do you see urban farmers and rural farmers kind of sharing some of the same issues or not? I mean, you went to that conference kind of to, to what did you get out of it? What did you learn? Or like, what do you see as some of the opportunities for partnerships between urban and rural farmers? Mm-hmm. I think, well, NOFA's awesome. I always have a great time up there, especially if you can trap somebody for a beer that's been mm-hmm. you know, farming for 40 years who survived the 80s and the 90s when, when it was, I think, even possibly even more difficult to be a small organic farmer than it is now. And um, so, you know, you just pick up little things. You go to the conferences or the workshops on pest prevention and pick up some little idea on how to deal with flea beetles or whatever. And then, um, you know, in terms of partnerships, I think I think we're all in general working for the same thing, which is to encourage people to, to eat food that's grown within, you know, within the state, within the region, rather than getting food that's coming from, you know, halfway across the, co- the world or, or even all the way across the country. So um, I, re- I heard a stat from somebody that, you know, that's still only less than like 3 4% of, of um, produce consumed in the city is, is local or regional. Hmm. And that number could really grow by a lot, you know. So, so I think that's really the common goal that we're sharing. And then also just general sustainability a lot of the farmers up there at the nofa conference are really taking care of their earth and they're growing smartly and they're not pumping a ton of fertilizers they're not pumping any pesticides into it and that's that's the way to do it cool yeah one of the issues we talk a lot about i think on the show is is farmland preservation and making sure that people have access to to growing food so in the city i mean how how was it to find your roof and are there kind of policy or zoning issues that that you wish there was like someone out there working on that would make it easier for more people to grow food in an urban environment? Mm-hmm. There are. And actually, people are working on it right now. There was 
last month there was a introduction proposed in the in the council and uh, and a hearing involved and and people given a chance to speak and provide written testimony to it and they're trying to create tighter dis- distinctions of what constitutes a, a vegetative or a, a vegetable growing green roof mm. which has a large part to do with with our project um, and th- basically if if some we want to make sure that the standards are are created logically and not too loose but in, it, we don't want to make them too tight either so it's so certain logical maybe an innovation comes up and it's right. uh, it becomes excluded from the from the language or something like that mm. so we're working pretty closely with the council on that's the city council uh yeah awesome that's great i'm working on that and that'll be great and then at the same time the department of buildings um they like to have structure and in their work so rather than you know sort of solve a problem for the first time you know when when new roofs pop up then they want to have like some some structure some rules written down on what this constitutes what needs to be checked off and then how to you know sign it off and say sounds good yeah because you i mean i think you mentioned like there were like four things you needed for your green roof um earlier Mm -hmm. so where was that guideline like where did that come from that was well it's not really in the it's not really in the in the books right now for for exactly what we did so um that was more of the industry best practice, and that kind of goes along into the policy, like to speak and communicate with a lot of people that are creating green roofs. Um, you know, the Germans have been doing it for twenty years, and to learn a lot of the, to take a lot of the learnings that have already been done, um, to to make sure that it's a appropriate policy. All right. So you guys have yeah, you've been lucky. I feel like I see the Brooklyn Grange all over the place. You've gotten tons of it feels like anyway, maybe it's just the stuff I'm reading. You've gotten a lot of media attention. And I mean, do you guys see the media as like a useful tool for you or something? I mean, when you have stuff going on, getting the word out or what what role do you think kind of they could be playing or are playing in promoting uh, food growth? Sure. I think the, the, the media hasn't been our, our primary focus. The primary focus has just been on quality vegetables and sales and developing good relationships with people that we work with. However, um, the media is also important, obviously. And I think they can be important as well as all the people that we work with, um, you know, spreading the word and, and word of mouth and so forth. But they can be important and just and also spreading that word. And like I said, whatever the percentages of, of people that are eating you know, really uh, responsibly grown produce in the city. It's a tiny percent. And that's kind of the ultimate goal with, with a project like this to increase that. And and also just to, um, you know, we're doing something positive. It has environmental positive impacts and positive impacts and that the food that we're producing isn't transported a long ways. And there's a lot of room for more farms like this in the city. So um, so I think the media can help us with that, just with, with creating an impression that's a positive project. Definitely. What's the what's the subway stop that you guys are near? In case people don't even realize they're walking past you every day, uh, it's the the thirty sixth Street stop on the R or the M train. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's like right there at the building. Awesome. And who is it? Who I mean, who is it that you guys are selling to? Who's bu- who's buying your stuff? Are you selling to just kind of direct to consumer? Are you selling to restaurants? What are what are some of the outlets that you guys are making use of? Uh, about. A little less than half of our sales were to our farmers markets, and we had at one point we had five farmers markets going per week. Um, that we all we started them all from scratch, except for the Brooklyn Flea, which we jumped into for a few weeks. So there's some existing foot traffic over there, 
Uh, we had two at the building itself, and then we had one here at Roberta's on Sundays, which I think I already mentioned. Yeah. We had one at Vesta, which is a friend's restaurant in Astoria. Um, and then we had one at the Brooklyn Fleet. So we're going to get Saturdays, you in Manhattan now. Fort Greene. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe that, not. Is that really hard to do? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Okay. I, th- I think it's... Um, We'd go to Manhattan if if there was a really efficient place to to have a lot of people come, so we could just really like fill up big trucks and yeah. get them over there. But otherwise, I, I think it makes more sense to keep it a little bit closer to the farm in general. Okay. And then the other half of our outlets were restaurants, and um, Roberto's was a large purchaser. Um, Marlowe & Sons, Marlowe & Daughters, um, the Brooklyn Kitchen, um, Juliet on Bedford Street, Bobo in Manhattan, Vesta in Astoria. There's a lot of different restaurants. Thanks to all you guys for um, supporting Fatty the Fatty Q was a great purchaser. Um, Cabrito in the West Village. We, we sold to a lot of different fun restaurants. Awesome. So, um, uh, like, what's next? I mean, what, 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 what's going on, like, this summer? Anything exciting, like, that you're looking forward to? Like, when do you get started again? Like, you know, rallying up the volunteers and, and really getting up there. And, like, when does the, the big workload start again? Uh, we'll start to our seedlings in early March. That's when we'll throw in most of the tomatoes, eggplant peppers, and then within a few weeks of that, some kale and Swiss chard. Um, and we'll start looking at the beds and tilling in the cover crops and giving those a couple of weeks to die off and then um we'll probably start putting in some sugar snap peas and radishes in march late march awesome what are you going to do over the winter do you have any vacations planned i mean how are you going to regroup mm. Re- re-energize <laughs> hibernate <laughs> just just take it easy yeah. a little bit yeah yeah less less um activity but but there's still a lot to do you know with our first year that you forget the other half of it which is the books and figuring <laughs> it we had to work with accountant to get some things straightened out and figure out our taxes and all that jazz that'll all happen in the next month or two and then i have a couple of books i want to read they'll be back at the nofa conference um there's some interesting growing going on in california which i'd love to check out and go visit some some contacts that i've made out there particularly with salad greens so yeah the list never really stops awesome great Great. well thanks for so much for coming in today ben yeah this is pretty sweet honestly to you know get you in here before you know this was all you know up there and going and to hear about it and to have it be a success congratulations and you know thanks for coming back and we'll bring you back again and continue to hear about uh, all the good things Brooklyn Grange has going on so uh, if you uh, guys ever need to check it out what's your website to get in touch with you guys or- it's brooklyngrangefarm.com okay cool yeah and thanks to Heritage for all the help with always it. getting it going no problem alright we'll be back next week live at 1 o'clock with the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report you know I think I'm going to actually eat some turkey next week all I'm going right, to take a break we will not be <laughs> here next week the week after <laughs> alright